If you were to study the New Testament to discover what Jesus talked about more than anything else. If you were to study the Gospels that record the words of Jesus. In an effort to find out what Jesus talked about more than anything else. What single subject he talked about more than anything else. What might you think it would be? Might it be relationship with God? That's a good thought. And it's very important. Might it be that Jesus talked about heaven more than anything else? Or could it be that he talked about hell? Prayer? Or love? Actually, you've already guessed it, haven't you? It's money. Put on the screen, if you will, for me. And then if you'll turn to the last book of the Old Testament, everyone. The second to last chapter, the last book, which is the book of Malachi. Sixteen out of the 38 parables in the New Testament are concerned with how to handle money or possessions. One out of every ten verses in the Gospels, that's 288 in all, one out of every ten verses in the Gospels deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on the subject of prayer. It offers less than 500 verses on the subject of faith. But there are more than 2,000 verses in the Word of God on money and possessions. Why? I think part of the answer is summed up in this thought that I have for you on the screen. Our trust in God is proven and displayed by what we do with what we possess. Again, our trust in God is proven and displayed by what we do with what we possess. Here's the foundation of why God has given us this word today. You take notes, it won't be all on the screen. The foundation of understanding Everything about God is to first understand that God is the owner of everything. God is the owner. I and you are the managers. Another word for manager is the word steward. God owns everything. It was here before you got here and I got here, and it'll be here when we check out. God owns everything. Before we brag about our intellect and how we got the degree and now we're getting the higher pay, the brains you have came from Him. It's on loan. <laughs> you know anybody who gave it back? God owns everything. Your ability to have a job, to have a house, to have a car, to have clothing, to have food on your table. God is the owner. We are the managers. More than one place in the scripture, God tells us that he is the owner. One of those places is Psalm 50 verses 10 and 11. Where God says, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. Here is a pretest 
before the main test. If you made $500 this week, how much belongs to God? Exactly right. All of it. I love the words of the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, founded the Methodist Church many, many years ago. He was a great hymnist, wrote many powerful hymns, and a great evangelist, and a spirit-filled man of God in his ministry. John Wesley had a grasp of God's ownership and our stewardship. And, And this is what he says. He says, none of these temporal things are yours. You are only stewards of them, not proprietors. God is the proprietor or owner of all. He lodges them in your hands for a season, but they are still His property. Can I get an amen? (laughs) It's kind of the way it is with you raising your kids. Amen. Come on. And they get older, but you feed them and you clothe them and you take care of them medically and you provide them an education. And and then after a while, if they earn it, they can partner with you. And even if they can't, you get them a used car and a car and you help them with the insurance and you help them get a little job to pay their bill. And, and, and you know, you kind of decorate their room and you buy their bedroom furniture and you buy their other kind of stuff. And then they get huffy in your face about age 16 and, and they say, you know what, I think I'm just going to leave this house. I'm just tired living under these rules and all of this stuff you're telling me to do. I got friends who got their own place and got their own stuff. So I'm just going to grab up the car key and I'm going to pack up my duffel bag and empty these, uh, these drawers and these closets head over to my friends. And then you say something like this. You leave when you want to, boy. But leave the key on the table. Don't you take the clothes. You're lucky. I'm letting you leave here without going out of here naked. Because I bought them clothes on your back. I pay for the groceries. I feel some parent getting happy right now. Come on, come on, come on. You're saying to that boy, that girl, I'm the owner. And you are the guest. The steward. I didn't mean to get so excited so soon. There is no area in our life that is not affected by money in some way. It is therefore a major issue. Tragically, however, some Christians have come to believe that God doesn't expect anything from them financially. Some Christians have come to believe that God will somehow be happy with whatever we have left over. To give to him. It reminds me of a story I heard that was related by Paul Harvey some years ago. Paul Harvey was a powerful and very influential radio commentator. And he tells of a time when the Butterball Turkey Company set up a hotline to answer consumer questions about preparing holiday turkeys. They'd call in and they'd tell you how to, how to prepare it around Thanksgiving. One woman called to inquire about cooking a turkey that had been in her freezer for 23 years. (laughs) The operator told the woman that it might be safe to eat the turkey if the freezer had been kept below zero degrees the entire time. 
But the operator warned the woman that even if it were safe, the flavor had probably deteriorated and she wouldn't recommend eating it. To which the caller replied, that's what we thought. We will just give it to the church. (laughs) The leftover. Christians sometimes feel that giving to God is something they do only if they can afford to do it. That God doesn't take notice of our giving. To many Christians, giving is not an important topic or they don't think it's a topic that should be talked about in church. One person said that for years they lived in a small town with one bank and three churches. Early one Monday morning... The bank called all three churches with the same request. The bank asked, Could you bring in Sunday morning's collection right away, please? We are out of one dollar bills. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, To God, our giving is a serious issue. There is no area in our life that is untouched by money. Therefore, money has a way of impacting everything about us. What we do with money says a lot about what we consider important in our lives and where our values are. Our stewardship reveals outwardly what is taking place inwardly. Here's a good place to take some notes. Tithing demonstrates where we are spiritually. I like you, whoever you are. The Bible teaches us that God takes seriously the tithe and the offering that belongs to Him. So much so that God says failure to honor Him in our giving is tantamount or equal to robbing from God. You see, brothers and sisters, the giver is always blessed by God. But the non-giver will find life a struggle for he or she has taken himself out from under the promises of God's blessings. That's why now I need to take your attention to Malachi chapter 3. And that's why now I'd like to read in your hearing verses 8 through 11. If you found it, say amen. The word of the Lord says, will a man rob God? That's beginning at verse 8. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithe and offerings. And Malachi says to the people of God, God told me to tell you that you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Verse 10. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And then verse 11. 
And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Thank you, Lord. Can I get another amen? amen. Okay, so, so look here a moment. Let me give you some background. Malachi was an Old Testament prophet who spoke to Israel after they had returned from 70 years of being captives and slaves in a foreign country called Babylon, which is present-day Iraq and Iran. 70 years they were gone. The people had returned. God brought them back. He said He would. And they were now rebuilding the city of God, Jerusalem, and rebuilding the temple of God. They were trying to reestablish themselves as God's chosen people. You would think that they would be anxious to do all that God expected them to do in light of their previous experience in having disobeyed God. But they had forgotten the blessings of God after they got back to the land. And they had forgotten how the blessings came, just like we do sometimes. Come on. And they began to live without regard for God's principles. One of which was the principle of tithing and giving. Malachi's message to the people was that they were taking what rightfully belonged to God and using it for themselves. They had forgotten God. And therefore Malachi tells the people, will a man rob God? Verse 8. You have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings you are cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even the whole nation. Please let the Holy Spirit arrest our thoughts for a moment when, when, when I say this to you. To fail to give God the tithe, according to God's word, is the same as robbing God. That's how seriously the scriptures view the responsibility to give God the tithe and what he's given to us. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that the person who suffers the most out of failing to tithe and give... Is not the church or the missionary or the pastor or the staff or the mortgage payment for the church or the hospital or the orphanage. The person who suffers the most when robbing God is the person who does that. That's right. Amen. There are some key thoughts that I must draw out of this passage for our moments together. And the first of which is the past of it. The past of this subject of tithe and offerings. I must tell you that as a pastor for almost 26 years, I have had people, well-meaning people, but misguided people, react to a message on tithing and giving by telling me that don't, they don't tithe because tithing is part of the law of the Old Testament. And now we are under grace and therefore tithing is not necessary. Come on. With all of my heart, I want you to understand everything I say, but I want you to get this. Tithing is not law right. to me, brothers and sisters. It is life to me. L- l- let me say this again. 
I don't tithe because tithing was part of the Old Testament law and I need to keep points with God. I tithe because tithing is life to Alan and Valerie and Kimberly and JC and Lakeland and Jennifer and Edward and everybody under my care and my, my prayer. Brothers and sisters, let, 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 me, let, me just, let me just spend a moment here with this, okay? Thank you. He's an elder in the church, and the Bible says, obey your elders. <laughs> let me debunk the argument about tithing being part of the law and therefore not necessary. If you study your Bible, tithing predates the law of Moses thousands of years. The principle of the tithe and bringing the first fruits to God, even the principle in the Old Testament of bringing the firstborn of the animals to God, predates the law of Moses. The Bible says Abraham, who predated Moses, when God gave him victory over the enemies of he and his nephew Saul, and with the favor of God... He rescued Lot and his family from his kidnappers. On his way home, the Bible said Abraham tithed, gave one-tenth of what he had to God in the person of his servant Melchizedek. Abraham tied to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a priest in the Old Testament who is a representation of Jesus Christ. Study your Bible. The principle of tithing and giving predates the law. It goes all the way back to the opening chapters of the book of Genesis where we see where God accepts Abel's offering and rejects Cain's offering. Because Abel was tithing and giving to God of his first fruits because he loved God. Esau was giving because he had to. Matter of fact, this principle of giving and tithing predates even Cain and Abel. It goes to their parents, Adam and Eve. Because because the Bible says to Adam and Eve, God gave them the entire Garden of Eden as stewards. To keep, to maintain, to enjoy. And, And the Lord says, eat of every fruit tree in this garden you want to with the exception of one tree. All of the other trees belong to you and their produce. But the one tree is mine. Don't touch it. Because in the day you do, you will die. You see, obeying God to Adam and Eve is quite like, and very much so, what obeying God is to you and I. Obeying God to all of us is life. Not law. Adam and Eve, however, took what belonged to God. And they plunged the entire human race from that time on until now under a curse. But Jesus has come to remove the curse. Can I get an amen somebody? I, I want to say to you. By choosing to eat the fruit of the tree that God said not to partake of, Adam and Eve were acting like owners rather than stewards. And isn't that precisely how the principle of tithe operates for us? 
God gives us stewardship responsibility over our lives. Though it all belongs to God, He richly gives us all things. Amen. But God has asked us not to touch the first fruits. He says the tithe and the first fruits are mine. We demonstrate faithful stewardship when we show that we are that we realize we are stewards and not owners. We give him the tithe. The tithe completely transcends the law. Like other principles in the Bible, other powerful truths of the Bible. Okay, let me see if I can give you an illustration. Suppose I come up here one Sunday morning and preaching, and in the midst of my preaching, I reach into this little cabinet pulpit thing here, pull out a gun and shoot somebody. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> okay? And, and, and suppose somebody says, Pastor, why did you do that? The Bible says you're not supposed to murder. And my response was, well, thou shalt not kill was part of the law, but now I'm under grace, so it's okay. <laughs> What, what, what would you think about that? You'd probably point out to me that respecting human life and not murdering are principles that run throughout the Bible, not just under grace. Now, I know I'm making a rather absurd illustration here, but I'm making me a point of point. Listen to this. Just because something was mentioned in the law of Moses doesn't mean that we can throw it out now. But let me say it another way. If something was wrong under the law, is it right now that we are living under grace? Ooh, come on. In other words, since murder was wrong under the law, is it now right under grace? Of course not. But let me turn the question around. If something was right under the law, is it now wrong under grace? Come on. Specifically, tithing was clearly the right thing to do under the law. The Old Testament makes that clear. But is, is it now the wrong thing to do that we're under grace? I, oh, help me, Jesus, here. I, I'm just wanting to teach you, okay? I'm going to teach you. Because if I will obey and you will obey, we will gain the favor of God. You see, he, here's something you need to understand. About the word of God. And about our relationship with God. God does not give us the Bible as a buffet land. Come on. That's right. Come on. That's right. just, I don't think I like zucchini, so I'll skip over zucchini. Come on. In this buffet land. I don't think I like squash. I don't think I like greens. But I will take some of that apple pie cobbler and some of that mashed potatoes and some of that potato souffle. And I'll take some of that steak and that chicken. I'll skip over Malachi and hurry over to the, to the New Testament. Is that baby happy or she's just, he just helping me? <laughs> helping me, yes. I thank God. This, this ain't no multiple choice book. That's right. Hallelujah. I, I'm trying to help you. And say, Pastor, you're going to play out some of these pews, so, so you want to build a building. I ain't worried about that. <laughs> Buildings come and go. What I'm worried about is where you and I going to go. Oh, that's right. yeah. Now listen to me. I want you to understand something about the, this thing of law and grace. The righteousness of grace always exceeds the righteousness of law. Amen. Oh, let, let, me, let, me, let me say it again. The righteousness of grace. If we are under grace, and we are living under grace, everybody here, <laughs> yeah. 
The righteousness of grace always exceeds the righteousness of law. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, it's on the screen, Do not think that I come to destroy the law of the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, but by no means pass from the law until it's all fulfilled. Now let me say this to you. The Old Testament law said thou shalt not murder. Jesus comes and takes us to a higher standard. He doesn't obliterate the law. He says, listen, I said thou shalt not murder, but if you hate somebody else, it's like murdering in your heart, I'm going to judge you. The Old Testament law said thou shalt not commit adultery. You shall not sleep with another man's wife or husband. Adultery, fornication, thou shalt. And, and Jesus says, I didn't come to wipe that out now that we are under grace. I require a higher standard. I'm telling you, man or woman, boy or girl, teenagers, I mean, if you look on somebody else and lust after them and commit a sexual act in your mind with them, it's as bad as you are breaking the law. I call you to a higher standard. Not just clean acting, but clean thinking. That's right. Somebody say that. Now, if somebody says, well, I'm under grace now, so I don't have to give, you missed the whole boat. If you're under grace, you've got to give more than they did under the law. Oh, yeah. Come on. Because to whom much is given, much is required. That's right. But I, I don't mean to be unkind to anybody, but usually when somebody asks me the question, I don't have to give, do I have to give now that I'm under grace and not under the law? What they're trying to do is to see how little they can get by to give to God and how blessed they can still be. That's right. Let me talk to you for a moment about the percentage of it. Everybody still with me? Say Amen. There are people who say, Pastor, I tithe 5% of my income. Uh, Pastor, uh, I tithe 7% of my income. The percentage of the Bible says bring all the tithe. I I, I would say this to you, and I'm being elementary here, but I'm also needing to be, I suppose. The word tithe comes from the Hebrew word meaning one-tenth. Tithe means 10%, 10% of our income. You are not tithing if you're giving 5% or 7%. You're just giving. That's not tithe. Don't get those words confused. Don't wonder why you're not getting blessed because, because you think you are obeying God. I don't mean to be unkind, but the words tithe and giving are not synonymous. They're different verbs. They mean different things. And then I often have this question. Should I give based on my gross income or should I give based on my after taxes, my next net income? You know, the gross is the amount we get before they take out taxes. The net is the amount we get left after they take out taxes. The answer perhaps should seem obvious because we should tithe first from all that God's given to us. Listen, hear me. Hear me when I tell you this, okay? I, I tell you that... How much of your income do you want God to bless? Do you want Him to bless the gross or the net? Yeah, uh, uh, let let me ask you another question about percentage. How much, how much of your money does the government tax you on? That's do they right. tax you on your gross or they say, go pay your tithe first and we'll tax you on the left you have left over? Well, if the government calls for that standard, doesn't God require a higher standard than our government? Amen. Amen. Some of you don't know if to clap. Or to groan. <laughs> Listen to me. I, this was written long before I was born. So don't get mad at me, okay? I'm just a mailman. Alright? Okay? The mailman brings you a statement from the IRS. You don't go chasing his little wagon and shoot him and kill him. Don't bring me any more of this trash! I'm just, I'm just God's mailman. And uh, <clears throat> Good looking one at it. Did I hear you say amen, brother? 
I thought you did. I'm teasing with you. Why do we always seek to get away with how little we can do for God Come on. and expect Him to do such great things for our marriage and our family and our life? Some, some of you have dropped off the wagon when you used to trust God and used to tithe and used to give. And now you've got something else going on thinking you could survive without that. And I'm telling you, God has a principle for your prosperity. Amen. Let, let me move very quickly to the place of it. The Bible says bring all the tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse back then was the tabernacle and the temple. The storehouse now is the local church. Where you get fed, where you get ministered to, where your children get ministered to, where in the next service your babies will be dedicated, where we conduct funerals to, 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 to uh, remember lives of people that impacted and touched us, where we do weddings, where we raise up teenagers and children to know and love the God, where we send out funds to build churches and missionaries, where we help orphanages and widows, where we help Kawita pregnancy services and the welcome house, where we build churches in other places, where we help people in this congregation who sometimes are financially needy and they come and they qualify and they go through the particular uh, uh, situation that we set up so we make sure nobody's taking Taken advantage of the very place where you eat the bread of life and get the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the choir sings to you and the musicians play and the glory of God come down your body is healed. That's the storehouse. That's where you bring the tithe. Uh, it doesn't belong to your kids' college fund. That's not where the tithe goes. It doesn't go to raise your grandchildren. It doesn't go to somebody's prayer tower in Tulsa. This is the storehouse. No more than old Charlie's would appreciate me eating lunch today at their place and walking over to Cracker Barrel to pay my bill. I feel a blow. Yeah. If you get your, if you send your money to your. TV preacher and your favorite Messiah and prophetess and come into this house and get the word. When you get sick, call them up. I ain't mean, I ain't ugly. I'm just trying to tell you. How can we treat God like that? Huh? Bring it to the storehouse. Well, they're going through a hard time and God doesn't mind. Yes, He does mind. The 10% belongs to the house of God and you give every and anything else above your 10% to other charitable and noteworthy and needed ministries. You can do that above and beyond. I do it. I give my tithe, my Valerie and I, I tithe every week. We give to missions every week and we give to the building fund every week. And we give to special, special every week. But I also thank God have the privilege of sponsoring an orphan girl through World Vision. I have the privilege of sponsoring David Wilkerson's ministry in New York through after, after we have given our time and our offerings and our missions and our building fund. Oh, I just, whoo, I feel it. I'm trying to free you up. This is the storehouse. All right, since that went over so well, I think I'll go further. The purpose of it. What is the purpose of the tithe? That there may be food in my house. In today's understanding, this is why this is translated. 
The purpose is the tithe so we may take care of the work of God. So that the pastor, the staff, the finance committee, the church elders, and others involved in finances as they qualify can take care of the house of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Do you know that this place is carpeted and clean and smells clean because we're taking care of the house of God because you care to give? Do you know the lawn is kept up and the shrubs are trimmed and the, the parking lot's blown out and you don't have to come and do it because you care about the house of God? Do, do you know that we pay the mortgage on this payment, on this building? And, and well, this is paid for, I mean the other building. Do you know we pay the utilities? We've never had in almost 26 years anybody threaten to cut off our power bill, our water bill, our gas bill, or to shut us down because you care about the house of God. Bring all the tithe in the storehouse. That in, in, in the Old Testament culture and time, it was an agrarian culture. It was an agricultural culture and time. People earned their living and made their livelihood by farming and, and sowing and reaping and cattle and livestock. So their tithe came in the form of, of the first fruits of their produce or their animal. But we're in a monetary economy now. And so the staff is compensated that way. Don't... I really don't care for you every Sunday to bring me a dozen chickens or chicken eggs or, you know, I, yeah. it's a different time. Somebody said to the preacher, I'll start, I'll start tithing when the church starts building the storehouse for it. We don't need a storehouse for chicken and rice and corn. But we need a place. We live by checks and credit cards and cash now. And so, the purpose of it is to support the work of the church. It breaks my heart. Because I'm a pastor of other pastors by the favor of God. When I look around and see struggling churches that's made up of prospering members, and the churches struggle, something's wrong. Do you know... That all the money we need to build the next building is in the bank. Let me show you something else though. I ain't talking about in the bank of the worldly people. I'm talking all the money we need to build the next building is in the bank of the Christian people. Amen. All the money we need. I, I pray to God I don't have to borrow six million dollars. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm not borrowing anything. Anything out there. Just by chance. That's right. But the same God I trusted Thank for $7,000 when I came 26 years ago, I can trust Him if He tells me That's I right. trust Him. Right. Listen to me. If the Christians in America, if the Christians of South Metro Ministries would give 10% to God in their tithe and offering, we wouldn't have to worry and raise funds and do a three-year campaign and sell chicken so that the kids can go on a Sunfest outing or sell something in the hallway or sell something someplace else because the money to do the work of God in the house of God is already in the bank accounts of Christians. It's just if we could learn that I am not the owner, I'm the manager, and when I put God first, you see, see part of our, oh, help me, Jesus. 
how can we go out and eat 50 to 60 to 75 dollars a week out to eat or 100 dollars more than once? Come on. How can we go to a football game or a ball game or go to a show or event or do a golf, a golf round of golf during the week? How can we do all these other things and let the offering bag and the offering plate put, pass by us with our arms folded and wonder why it is every Sunday I come to church they're taking an offering? Why it is every time I come to church they're preaching on money? It's simply because of the fact that until we learn to release to God what belongs to God, there's going to be some struggles. I'm not mad. But <laughs> I tell you, brothers, let, let me, let me, the proof of it is this. Back, back up for me, one of the, would you back up one? The proof of it, the Word of God says is, God says, try me now in this. Amen. Try me by giving 10% the first. See, here's the problem. We only want to give 10% when we know for sure the 90% is already in the bank. There's no faith in that. Where's the faith in that? But I take out the first of the week or the end of the week and I write the check and I do the 10% and I put it in the offering as a glory to God and an honor to God and as a worship to God. I worship to God and I'm saying, God, I'm going to try you and prove you. While I don't have it all here yet, I'm putting the seed in and you'll take care of me. I I wish somebody would say, man. The same God... Who tells the truth when he promises to save you if you put your trust in him. Will provide for you if you commit your tithe to him. The same God who said I will save your soul from hell. If you come and give your life to me. I'll deliver you from the devil. And I'll keep you the rest of the days of your life on this earth. And then one day I'll take you to heaven with me. It's the same God who says if you'll trust me with 10% of your income the tithe. I'll take care of your mortgage payment and your car payment. And your dental bill and your doctor bill. And I'll take care of your gasoline and your groceries and your clothing. Because never has the righteous been forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Prove me, says the Lord. Everybody give the Lord a praise. Prove me. Test me. Try me. Nowhere else in the Bible does God say, prove me and test me. Billy Graham says, and I want to be sure I quote him right. He talks about our affection to money and he says, you can tell about a man's heart Based on what he does with his money. Because for many Christians, their heart is closer to their wallet than they are to God. (laughs) Help me, Jesus. Wow. Here's the provision, okay? The provision of this is verse 10. If you will prove me, then I'll open up the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Mama, mama, I cannot begin to tell you the people who over the years have told me when I started tithing and giving, improving God, my life turned around because I understood who He is in my life and that He will provide for my children, provide for my health, provide for my family. I will open up the windows of heaven and bless you good measure, pressed out, shaken together. You won't have a need for anything if you'll trust Him. Mm, Jesus, I got so many things going through my head, but I got to finish. 
The protection of it is this. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. The devourer is still alive in case you didn't know it. He is the devil. I said the devil is still after you and me if he can get in. But we help the devil get to us sometimes. We help the devil get to our finances and get to our children and get to our marriage and get to our health. When we disobey the Lord. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. I'll be a shield about you. The glory will shine on you. I'll be your protection. The practice of tithe, therefore, and I close with this, is number one, tithing is a discipline. Number two, tithing is a decision. And number three, tithing is defined. Do you know that a a discipline can be defined as something that goes against our natural inclination and is not easy? Again, if you say you're going to lose weight, that goes against your natural inclination. You can smile, your face won't break. (laughs) Uh, uh, It was a birthday event yesterday and... uh, Matter of fact, it was Valerie's father's 75th birthday. Brother Gann, my father-in-law. And, and Darren stopped by to facilitate our meetings each evening. And, and uh, I don't even know if he's in this service and I haven't asked his permission. And at this point, I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> I said, Darren, we had some barbecue and had some uh, sweet potatoes and some macaroni and cheese. Brunswick stew. Hey, I'm feeling still anointed. No, no. I said, Dad, stay around and have lunch with us. I mean, no, no, I'm on a weight thing. He says, I've lost 25 pounds since the first of the year, and I'm doing this and doing that. And I thought when he told me what he was doing, you know, eating the box of trees and stuff. Uh, no, he, 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 he didn't say that. I thought, a discipline is something that goes against our natural inclination. Do it because we have a goal in mind. You know, tithing is a decision. You don't decide every week I'm going to tithe. You make a decision today that God is first. No more than you get up every morning and say, I think I won't brush my teeth today. (laughs) If it's good for you, you make the decision and you move. But I close with this. It is worship. Tithing is worship to God. Some of you need to be free from your financial bondage. Some of you need to be free from owing everybody you see and not answering your cell phone or your home phone because of caller ID. You got so many recordings now from that person who is a collector until you... You you need to be free from that. You, you, You need to be the head and not the tail. You need to give be the giver and not the borrower. Tithing is worship to God. To obey is to be blessed. Disobey is to walk out from under His covering. Bow your heads.